Hey everybody, welcome to a great, great, great episode of Pretender to Contender. How are you? Good afternoon, good morning, good night, whenever you're listening to this, I have no idea. But today on the podcast, we have a comedian, actor, writer, producer, podcaster, Brian Callen. Oh God, I'm so excited uh, for you guys to hear this interview. If you don't know who Brian is, you definitely don't listen to podcasts or watch a lot of comedy. Brian uh, was one of the original cast members of Mad TV. Uh, he had a he had a huge hit podcast called The Fighter and the Kid with Brendan Schwab. He also played Coach Miller on The Goldbergs that went on to be a spinoff called Schooled. Uh, many stand-up comedy specials. He had uh, three of them. One called Man Class, another one called Never Grow Up, and his latest, Complicated Apes. They're all available wherever you can find comedy specials. They're hilarious. The guy just makes me fucking laugh. Uh, You may have uh, seen him in movies. He's been in, Jesus, his resume's huge, but the ones that stand out to me the most are... Hangover, Hangover 2, he was in Joker, and he also had a part in Old School. So we're going to get right to the interview, because it's extensive, with a guy I've known for many years. We used to bounce around in the New York City comedy scene before he uh, moved off to Los Angeles. Let's get right to it with my guest today, veteran comedian, actor and like i said podcaster writer producer he's done it all the great brian callen what club do you do when you come here you did um, that i did the last time i came to arizona i did this comics club let me think Rick what Bronson, it's right tom House sims i did tom sims i used to do this other guy's gig for a really long time his real name is howard hughes do you know him I don't. He's like a comic there that, that had a gig. It was pretty good. Um, there's always yeah. been a lot of comedy clubs in, in that Arizona area. Yeah. What's the other one called? Stir Crazy, I think. it's it, that, that one's right near the airport in Phoenix. I never never heard of it. Hold on. I'm coming around. I'm coming around. We're talking two Sorry. years ago, though. All right. I just want you to get a sense of what, my, what I'm working with. My face. <laughs> my, my body. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna make me laugh a lot in this interview, and uh, I don't even—that's the point. I don't even know if uh, you know the title of the podcast or what uh, my podcast is and what we uh, try I know, to I know, I know nothing. Uh, no, I don't know. Tell me, tell me what we do here. I have no idea. So the podcast—you're a good, per- you're a per- you're a good guest for this because you're one of those guys that uh, even when you're fucking around and and being goofy. You go motivational. You're never like negative. It's always like overly positive. So, yeah. so uh, this is kind of in your wheelhouse, but the podcast is pretender to contender. And I interview more than comedians. I interview anyone who's successful in any field. And I get their story of how they went from being like a nothing, a pretender. And then at what point did they start to feel like a contender? Like, like, like you know, like a boxer would kind of. And uh, and I've had I've only well, had a few comedians on, so I've had a lot of people in different uh, 
you know, entrepreneurs, uh, professional artists, you know, uh, let's think here. I I even had, I chalk, I chalk my, my whole, all my success up to one word, genetics. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the interview. I mean, that's all I got to say, really. You know, if God doesn't love you as much as he loves me, then there's nothing, I can't help you, bro. You don't have the tools. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so you'll be another interview where I I've known you a really long time. So it's like, but I, I, whenever I interview comedians, I know it's not like, I didn't know you when you were starting out. I knew you when you were already doing pretty well and, and bouncing around in New York city, you know, um, yeah. probably close to when you moved to Los Angeles. So, mm-hmm. so how did it, how <laughs> I can't even ask you serious questions. So like, well, yeah, I, I don't, you know, success is a funny thing and, and, you know, becoming a contender versus a pretender or whatever it is. You know, I think um, the, the important thing is to never feel like a contender in some ways. I mean, I, I, I don't think um, you ever arrive. The, the big secret is that you, you know, I, I was faking it and still am, you know, in a lot of ways in terms of kind of realizing a uh, uh, very quick story. I was um, in acting class and I'd done a scene. I was very nervous. It was for, um, it was in this class that's hard to get into. Right. So, you, you, you know, I was in this other class for a long time. I was invited in this class. I get there and it's like, you know, Oscar winning actors in there, literally like literally Anthony Hopkins would go in there period. I wasn't there when he was there, but he would come in there. And then uh, Neil Simon was there. Sometimes he would sit in or, or, and then the actors you would see in that room were just, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was everybody from Giovanni Rapisi to, you know, you name it, real actors and really successful. And a lot of stage actors who were like, you know, so I'm there and I did, uh, I think a scene from Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, very difficult scene, very difficult. And I was very nervous. Anyway, I, I do the scene and I did well, you know, because I, I was, I overprepared, you know, mainly because I, I always felt very inadequate. And, and he said, uh, my teacher said, uh, and I made the class laugh a lot. So he's asking me about questions. And he, he said, you know, I get the sense you have low self-esteem. I get the sense you feel like you're a second-class citizen. And a famous actor, a Broadway actor, from the back of the room goes, thank God. And everybody turned to look. And he goes, well, I mean, if the guy liked himself, he wouldn't be funny. And I, I never forgot that. You know, you're always told you have to like yourself and you have to believe in yourself. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. If you want to believe in yourself, oh, you, 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 that takes about at least 10 years of practice, probably more. What are you, what are you talking about? Believe yourself. So, so I like to box a little bit, actually. And so, um, if, if, if I, when I'm working really hard and you put me in the ring when I was with somebody who's not very athletic and doesn't know how to box very well, I'm going to believe in myself. Okay. You put me in a ring with a dude who's a good boxer, like just a good amateur. I, all my belief goes out the window. And, and I'm terrified and I know I'm going to get hit and hurt. So the only way you believe in yourself is you understand how to navigate the situation that you're in. What you can believe in is your potential. You can believe in the fact that if you apply and work harder, and I hate the word, I hate hard work. I hate that expression because it sounds punitive. But, but if, you, if you can find a way to inspire yourself to, to stay focused on the fact that you could be good at this thing, and if you practice specifically, if you work on what you're bad at, and you can make it really fun, actually, right? So the difference between great swimmers, Olympic swimmers, regional swimmers is when Olympic swimmers are always specific when they walk in the, in, in, in the gym. 
great boxers are always specific about what they're working on that day. Very specific. Is my jab is going to be, you know, I'm going to jab and my head, my, my you know, I'm, I'm going to, my hand's going to be here as opposed to here. It makes all the difference. In the world. So when they're working on that in the, in the mirror, they're working very specifically on very specific patterns and making sure that they're, they're slipping and everything is specific. And that's the difference between, you know, expertise or getting very good at something and um, being just okay in general. It just is. So, I feel that way about everything, including stand-up. You know, I, I just wrote literally an hour of material uh, during COVID, and it was doing really well. But then I saw it, and I went, it, it's just not that good, man. It, it's good. It's funny. I get away with it. I make people laugh. But it's not, um, it's not surprising, and it's not original. Really? It's, you know, some people disagree. My girlfriend thinks that, you know. But I, dis- I, I know the difference. So I kind of like was like, nah, I just, I, I'm not, I'm not digging deep here. Right. So part of but success it, there comes was from something being hard in, on yourself. I want to go back a second because you said something really interesting at the beginning there, which is uh, someone in the acting class saying if he believed in himself, he wouldn't be funny. And I've always if he liked himself. If oh, he liked, liked himself. himself. Yeah. I've always kind yeah. of agreed with that. That I, I knew that guys, you know, those guys. We all know the comedians that come up to you and tell you how well everything's going, and they're never oh, the best comedians. Yeah. Right? yeah, me and Will Arnett had a joke about that where it'd be like, you'd always start with, "Yeah, no," you know, it's, it's yes and no. Yeah, no, I'm, things are good. Uh, you know, as soon as somebody goes, "Yeah, no," I'm doing well. It's like, oh boy, you just say, yeah, no, at the same time, things are bad, bad, bad. Huh? Or if somebody's like going, "Dude, I'm having a lot of fun. I've been crushing out there. I mean, I got four projects." You're like, "Oh, that bad? Huh? It's going that bad? Damn, that's a tough one. You're on the verge of quitting everything." Uh, uh, yeah. Do you remember this guy, John Viner, who he used to work in New York City a lot and then he became a writer for Family Guy. He's super, I don't remember. Super smart, like just the guy had everything. You know, he looked like a Kennedy. He was in super intelligent. He went to like prep school, you know, he got into comedy and acting and he was doing really well. And then he gets a job on Family Guy and like, but he hated himself so much. It was amazing because he just had everything. And he used to do an impression of that, what you just said. And he would do the comedian choking. He would start to choke because he was talking about himself so much. <laughs> and it used to kill us. Yeah, Artie Lang used to do a, a thing where the guy was, where he just fainted his own. He's, he's so appalled at his own condition that he would just faint. Now nah, things are doing really, I'm, I'm, I've been killing it. I got to be on. I'd just be out and just fucking die. <laughs> Fainting was a way, was a defense mechanism, you know. Well, yeah. you figured out, so that maybe that's an interesting thing to talk to you about. So you figured out how to find the even weight of insecurity and security and combine it. I mean, um, I think that's, I don't know if you're still doing that style of stand-up, but I saw like your last two comedy specials and I, I always laugh at all your shit. And it's really funny to do the overly macho guy and then reveal yeah. that you're not. So it's no. like you get yeah. you get the was there ever a time where you were just going with the really confident guy and you didn't share the not confident guy and you didn't no, like it or something? I, I just always thought confidence in the macho stuff was embarrassing if you took it seriously. Right. I mean, but what are you, you used doing? to go all, you used yeah. to go all that. You never really said I'm not that way until I think your last special. Am I wrong? Probably Complicated Apes was more 
about um, complicated apes. I don't know if you saw that one, but that was really a pushback on identity politics. I don't and know if I saw the last one. Then I saw the one where you were doing a lot of it was compared to your dad, who's this. Oh, real- that was never grow up. But the, my my latest one was complicated apes on Amazon, and that was that was um, received well. And I think it was because I was pushing back on. I was making fun of. Um, I was still making fun of the notion of masculinity, but I was also, I think, talking about identity politics. You know, that, that was a different thing. Um, right. But they, within that, there's always that idea that I, I think it's really important to realize how limited a creature you are. For Christ's sake, you're human. And, and, and if you're not smart enough to realize it, number one, you're not historically significant. You're not. You just don't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, I matter to my children. And, and you know, but, but overall, um, I, I don't think the, your career, your business doesn't need you. And the world doesn't, the world will move on. And oh, by the way, you're not better than your audience. That's another thing you've got to learn quickly. Um, because you might be better at stand-up, but it doesn't mean you're better at, you know, um, at, at life. There are things they know that you don't know. So I've always had a sense of where I stand, I think, in that, in that regard. And that comes, by the way, from also reading history, being aware of what's going on in the world. Those sure. are very important things to keep in mind. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you you were always like a, a super intelligent guy who just digested books like a, like a madman. I, I can remember. <laughs> I never told you this, but um, I think you were on. This is when you first were ever on Joe Rogan's podcast and you and him just started really doing a lot of stuff together. And uh now, my wife is, like, super intelligent. Like, my wife has a PhD, you know, and uh, studies neuropsychology, like, studies the brain. And we, we, wow. were, we were listening to you and Rogan in a car ride somewhere, and she goes, I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. She goes, I have a PhD, and these guys are way over my head right now. And I go, yeah. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty intelligent. There's not, you know, there's not a lot of comedians that have that that wealth of knowledge. See, but these two guys do. But I don't think of it as intelligence. I just think of it as I'm interested in what I don't know, and I really mean that. Like I just don't know a lot. So you know, I'm I'm interested to know, for example, how my government works and what the origins of 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 that are, because I benefit from uh, representative democracy from from a a republic. Mm-hmm. And I want to know the men that that came up with that genius idea. I want to know who James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and John Jay and, and the rest of them are. I want to know who these people were because I, I directly benefit from their genius, right? And then when I hear arguments that want to discredit those people based on a false narrative, it makes me angry. It makes me feel like there's an injustice being done. I, I want to know the origins of... of uh, you know, racism and, and the ideas of why, why we've come here. Why are we here? What, what, what are we doing here? Those are things that have always been interesting to me. And part of it might be because I grew up all over the world. Remember, I didn't grow up in this country. Yeah, I didn't no. come to this country until I was 14 years old. So when you live in Pakistan and India and Greece and Saudi Arabia and Lebanon, and you see a country fall apart during civil war as a young boy, and it's terrifying and heartbreaking. You get a sense, and oh, by the way, when you're when you see the tremendous poverty in Yemen, or you go to communist China in 1983 when they're all wearing blue uniforms, a country is, and they're all on bicycles. Or you go to Russia in 1985 where 
you can't speak about the government and their food is so bad you can't believe it. And I was a tourist for Christ's sake. And you see what communism on that level really did and what World War II and World War I did to that country. You get, and what Stalin did to that country, the Red Terror and Khrushchev, and those, you get a real sense, man. You get a real sense of, um, you go, uh, first of all, why am I so lucky? And I'm so lucky just because I was born. I was thrown into the right math. Right. And so it, 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 part of it was just guilt, not just curiosity, but guilt, a sense of responsibility to my, my position. I work, I don't, I, every day I think to myself, I don't work hard enough because I'm, I've been given this insane opportunity because I've seen the other side. I've seen the have nots very, very intimately as a child when it mattered and when it affected me deeply. So I think a lot of it was, was that I wanted to know why. So, you know, comics are not known for their deep intellectual uh, vigor. No. Because they tend to be very self-involved and very fucked up. Right. Um, I'm not excluding myself from that, but but I at, at least I maybe was traumatized enough as a child. Well, you you <laughs> were always to... there was always a couple comedians that I you know that to me that just exuded a lot of confidence early on, and 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 it, and it stood out like you. I'm sure. I would think, uh, who would you name? And I'll name, because you're on my top three lists of guys that you were like, dude, these guys are so confident that I was like jealous of it as a guy that, even though I might have not showed uh, insecurity in my act, unless you were really intelligent and you were listening to what the jokes were about, you could tell that it was a vulnerable guy. But I was confident in my potential. I knew I, I had the, I knew I could do this. Like I saw what my, I saw what the competition was. I saw the great comics or the great actors. And in my mind, I was like, I, I can do that. Mm -hmm. well, I think I that mean, was that deep seated belief. We weren't like good friends know. off stage. We would see each other in passing. So, I mean, yeah. some of it is coming from watching you perform and you were, mm -hmm. you know, doing that thing you know yeah. that was like hey great. look That's at this I aren't i great yeah. like oh my god i remember the joke where he, he used to do this thing with your hand where you would go because i got this <laughs> i still remember that the way the hand was turned in and went down. i got i got this i got you know yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was I like me and sebastian me and sebastian mascot used to always we also we used to always do that you know i'd come up and i'd go probably wondering where i got these threads I had them made before. If you if you had a question, they were made on a loom by Versace himself. It doesn't matter. The point is that we would just do these things, and it was so yeah. much fun. I love yeah. comedians that you can have fun with. That's like the that. Italian in me. That's the Italian. That's the sort of you know. I got these. Oh, you know. Yeah. I'm looking. You know, my mother's from Brooklyn, Sicilian. So, so what more do you want? But the three guys in, in in New York that I saw that were doing that super confident thing was you, Jay Moore, and. Dane Cook, those are the three guys, and mm. um, and I and and I and I just remember going. I remember when um, I have a really strong memory of when Jay Moore got the part in Jerry Maguire, and I was like, "Well, of course he got this part." I'm like, "That's yeah. fucking Jay Moore. He just got a yeah. part to play himself." You know, he he's he is. Me and Will Sasso talk about Jay Moore. Jay is so talented. Like Jay is one of those guys who just, if you want to talk about raw talent, like a dude who just, I don't know, man, he, his brain works. He's, I mean, when he, if he puts his mind to it, 
he's as good as anybody as, at acting or stand-up, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he's just he was always astonishing. Yeah, he was very super talented. And same same with Dane Cook, especially if you know people used to shit on him all the time when he started getting huge. And I was like, you guys have no idea. I'm like, there wasn't anyone in the Los Angeles or New York comedy scene that would go, yeah, I want to go on after him. Like, he was the guy. Dude, he was he was a murderer. Unbelievable. When people shit on him, I laugh. I'm like, you weren't there. You didn't see what got that guy to the dance. There was no one who destroyed rooms like that, dude. I don't, nobody can tell me about that. I saw that too many times with my own eyes. And by the way, had to follow him and, and watched him take a room of 500, 600 people. And I mean, explode it, explode it with the most physical, hilarious shit ever. So nobody can say anything about that to me. I'm, I'm, I, you know, and by the way, you want to talk about a guy who just worked his ass off. He was just such a hard working, disciplined guy. Dane doesn't drink or do drugs or even hang out. And everybody else was, you know, I mean, it's comics. So a lot of it was just the attention to detail goes back to that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, so I'm just curious if there was a time like when you first started stand up, were you playing that character of really confident guy or was there ever, and how did you stumble upon that? And how did that become your kind of your thing? I just believe in being a turtle and not a, a, a hare. I just believe in the, the slow attrition, the process of attrition. I believe in not getting too attached to your own success because you got to realize it's going to go away. And you have to also realize that this is a huge opportunity and you have to almost take a spiritual outlook on it. You know, the idea that I, I've just been given this opportunity and I have a certain amount of potential and I want to see exactly where that potential ends. Well, and so that's what I care about. And, 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 you know, whether people like me or not, by the way, if people dislike me, when you talk about trolls, I probably agree with a lot of what they're saying. Yeah. I don't need trolls to keep me, you know, in the dumps. Yeah, I agree with them too. There's always a lot that's correct. If you really want to read it. And no study problem. It. Yeah. So, so, so that's fine. But I need, I'm, I'm, I got my, I'm my, I have a lot of trolls in my own head, so I don't, it's all good. You know, you can't, nothing you say to me, is going to affect me at all. Cause it's nothing I haven't said to myself in many ways. So, so I, I think that the, the confidence, first of all, comes again from realizing your own potential in your own mind's eye. Once I started after 10 years or so, I had some sets. One in particular, I remember was in my, was in Fort Lauderdale at the improv. And I called my mother and I said, I did what, I did something tonight I never thought I could do, but actually in my mind's eye, it's what I wanted to do. I, I, I felt like I'd, I couldn't have done better. I did an hour and 50 minutes, an hour and 55 minutes. I did it in Toronto and I did it in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And no one got up to go to the bathroom. The, the, I remember the, the manager said, did you notice that nobody wanted to get to the bathroom? And there was such a line that people were, whole, they were freaking out because they wanted to go to the bathroom because they didn't want to miss anything. And I never forgot that. And, and I remember I said, I said, I said, that's, that's as I called my mother and I said, if I die tomorrow, I did what I wanted as a comic, like in many ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, but then, you know, again, but here, here's the thing. You get to a point like, like when I was 51 or 52, I think I drew a line through everything I set my line to, right? I had my own TV show, a big podcast and headlining and stand. It's never enough. <laughs> it doesn't mean, it's, it's, what am I going to do? Stop? I, I still now got, I got to reinvent myself and come up with something even funnier, or, or at least I got to keep going. 
it's very personal. It's a very personal. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying, Joe, is don't worry about confidence. I don't like confidence. I like queer dissatisfaction. I like I like self doubt. I like anxiety and fear. I even like depression. I mean, find me the artist you admire who didn't go through hell in one way or another. Dostoevsky, for Christ's sake, was in a mental institution and and in jail where they performed mock executions on him. Oh, and he also had terrible um, epilepsy, terrible epilepsy. He didn't know when he, when he was gonna die before they had drugs. Van Gogh obviously suffered from such crippling depression. He couldn't get out of bed for three months at a time. So when he did, he, he paint at such a rapid pace out of the sense of frantic desperation. John Coltrane found out he was dying of cancer and, and he had so much music inside him that he was so desperate to get it out. I mean, I can go on and on about the great artists who were, you know, a, um, I mean, Dolly was a ghastly human being, but he, you know, so, so there were, there were, these people had gone through, I think Goya went crazy. Well, being a, being you know, a, I'm sure people realize it, but I mean, being a performer and I come from an ath- athletic background and grow up in a family where we all like played a lot of sports. Um, you, you learn, uh, maybe I didn't learn at the beginning of stand up, but I know it now. It's like you're competing against yourself and you enjoy it. So sometimes when these dudes show up and try to take you down, they don't realize that they're throwing more kindling on the fire. Like you're actually yes. helping me. <laughs> like of course. I, I needed a That's re- how I look at I, it. You know, who's that guy? You guys all love him. You and Rogan love him. That the the dude who's fucking running talking into the camera with his shirt off. I, I don't love him. I, I don't Dave Goggins. I, I don't I don't know what to think about Dave. I don't, I don't. Oh, because he said something interesting where he was like running with his pack. Him. While, That's Rogan's guy. Did I just lose you for a second? No, I'm here. Like, I'm here. I feel like I lost you for a second. Yeah. Uh, I was watching something that he that was up about of him, and I, I posted it on my uh, story on my Instagram, where he was talking about the pack of guys that he's running with in in the military, and how these you know these guys are like, oh, I hope when we get to the water, it's not too cold, or da da da. You know, I hope the the uh, the leader doesn't run too much further because and, and he talked about how he goes the other way with it where he's like I hope the water's cold I hope this fucking guy keeps running far so like I mean maybe I it's- mean I, I appreciate Dave's uh, Dave Goggins uh, in in terms of I guess the message being you know when discomfort is to be embraced I have a little bit of a different point of view I, I don't know that running thirty miles a day is 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 good for creativity. I think it's good to numb yourself. It's a form of self medication. It's a good way to cope with trauma. It's a good way to cope with doubt. I mean, he just he'll run through a wall or climb Everest in a wheelchair. I have a different point of view on that. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think uh, that's fine if you want to be really hard physically, and you know, and you know, sure, and, and it's good for your mental toughness, I suppose. Well, I'm, um, I'm just I, I'm just I'm, speaking yeah. as a guy that. Uh that if I have an insecure feeling in my head, those kind of things, just watching them for 30 seconds spins me out of it, spins me out of that. Cause that's I can, great. I'm, that, then, that, then Dave Goggins is a, is a very helpful person. I mean, in that sense, I mean, it, see, I, I like Goggins because he's motivational to young people who can't get off the couch and are smoking weed all day and, and living in So Dave, Dave has a very important function. I admire that. I, I tend, my struggle is not having to run a long time. My struggle is how do I, how do I, how do I, 
stay original with my expression. How creativity is what I'm very impressed with. What I'm more interested in. I'm not. I'm not so interested in、um, grit and and、uh, hard training anymore. When I was a younger man, I was. But I I I, I like、uh, thinking my way out of and and just kind of coming up with a new way to do something. That my 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 business is to do that, right? Yeah, so, well, I think I think I think too much training can can lead to a form of amnesia and a numbing. I don't even I don't even of think、life. of it as he's talking about training. Like he could be training and talking about training, but I use it for what I want to use it for. You know, it, yeah, it has it, it, and that is creativity and yes, coming up with new things. You、like、can you be、said. a Dave Goggins of creativity. Like we all of us should be writing. If you're a comic, the way Dave Goggins runs. You know what I'm saying? You should be you should be getting after it. You should be using Dave Goggins'、um, philosophy to get after it as an artist, right? Which is to be to be different, and you know, and and I haven't done enough of that. We can all use more of that, yeah. So, another question for you is: I don't know if you were an actor or a comedian first, or was it at the same time? Were you an actor? You were actor an actor when you were really yeah.、Young? I wanted to be. Were you a child? No, I just I saw De Niro. I, I I wanted to be. I studied acting in college, but I was a history major, and I, I I just saw Raging Bull, and I was so blown away by this guy. I had never seen anything like it. I was just like, what did he do, and how do I get closer to that? And then I started listening to Springsteen songs. I, again, I didn't grow up in the country, so I just was. I was somebody played Springsteen a live version of Johnny Ninety Nine, and I was like, "Who is that guy? And, and what is he singing about?" And I went down the rabbit hole, and I was so moved by the power of somebody to be able to put words together that way. It wasn't even the music, man. It was the stories he was telling. They they made me feel fucking deeply, and、um, and I wanted to get closer to that. And De Niro was astonishing, astonishing. And then you 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 watch Chris Walken and King of New York, or or in these movies that I grew up with, and you're just like, fuck, man. I I want to. I I don't know, but I feel so. I feel so deeply, and I don't know what to do with this emotion. I didn't even know. I didn't know what to do with myself. I just wanted to be like that somehow. I wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to be that way. Right. It made me feel so deeply that somehow I wanted to get closer to.、It. Maybe that's why I chose to be an actor. But incidentally and ironically, I don't like acting. I don't like the process. I like stand-up. I like writing. I, I think what I was, what I made the mistake of was, I was, I was, I was interested probably in the story, and whoever it was that brought those characters to life,、mm-hmm. because they, they touched a deep truth in me. I don't know where it came from, but it was deep, and I just was so overwhelmed with this. You know that there's this, there's this.、Um, it was Schopenhauer, I think, and Nietzsche too, who talked about. The idea that、um, you know that there's the life is really difficult to escape the the routine of life. You have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to you have to fuck, and you have to keep your body warm. And this is a full time job, right?、Mm-hmm. And and repeat, and then you die. But there are moments you forget you're human, and those moments are are, are moments of inspiration. There are moments when you you listen to great music, or you're doing great music. Um, or, or you listen, you see an amazing movie, or a great story, or you see a, a painting that brings you to your knees, like the Sistine Chapel. And in those moments, you forget you have to go to the bathroom. You forget about sex. You forget about、um, sleep. You forget about everything. You, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed. All, suddenly, life has a different meaning. And I would say 
we probably stay alive for those moments. Those moments of deep kinship, those moments when you truly love somebody in front of you. Those are the moments we stay alive for. The moments you laugh your ass off, you can't stop laughing. Those are the moments you, you think about, the moments you take with you, the moments that you live for. It's not the Mercedes. It's not the view. It's not that big house. It's not. It's the connection you have with human beings. It's the times you laugh, the times you cry, you know, and you can cry sometimes because it's so, you listen to a song that's so fucking unbelievable, you can't help yourself. And I think those moments of arrested development, you know, a high relief, let's call them. That, that's what, um, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what we, that's what we stay alive for. I can't remember what we were talking about, but I just went off on a tangent. Today. <laughs> but that, that, that's, that's, uh, those are the moments we forget. We forget who we are. And, but, oh, I'm sorry, but that guy, when I, when I saw De Niro and I saw, um, when I listened to Spring Instinct, that's what happened to me. I just was, I forgot about everything there. It was a moment of deep inspiration. Yeah, there's an amazing, there's an amazing, there's an amazing speech, and I think it's John Stewart, but it might be Ben Stiller. <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember. It's either John Stewart or Ben Stiller. When uh, Springsteen, I think, easy, easy to conflate the two. I don't know why, but it was. I think Springsteen was getting the Mark Twain Award, and one of them presented it and gave a really great speech about Springsteen. And the, and there's a really funny joke in there where he's like, "You're driving." this shitty car through New Jersey listening to Springsteen and he transforms you into this place where you're the, the song you're listening to is all of a sudden it's about you driving this shitty car through New Jersey. And yeah. I, yeah. I, he, t- he, he did. He turned freehold New Jersey and, and the surrounding towns into some, some place romantic. He turned it into the shire you know, the Hobbit Shire. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this guy, I don't know, man. He, he was, it was, it's just American poetry, man. So, so, so you, you see the Nero and Raging Bull, you're, you're studying acting. Where are you studying acting? In college, you said you were. I was, I went, I had, a, I, I was in class in, in, in college and then I, I went to the neighborhood playhouse in New York City in Manhattan, 54th Street. And, and then and how I does realized that work? I came how, out. How did you get in there? How does that work? Do you have to get accepted? Do you have to audition? You, yeah, you are, you interview and stuff. But then and you, then you're invited back the second year. You know, you have to be invited back mm-hmm. the second year. And um, and are you doing I, com- I, you're doing mostly serious stuff, not even comedic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing yeah improv. Oh, there was like you know it was one of the funny things because I had yeah to come up with like activities and i would come up with pretty creative ones i suppose and people i i could just first time i ever had and i went oh I, I think i'm talented i think imagination that people respond to david blaine the magician was in my class incidentally and we, that's why we're still very close but um you know I, I i think that that was i came out of acting class after two years in new york and realized i couldn't act realized I had a lot more work to do. So I really learned how to act under a guy named Milton Gonzalez and Jeffrey Tambor. Um, the, well, I know Jeffrey the Tambor, award but I don't know actor the in, in LA over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It took me 10 years. That was his team. I, I, I spent 10 this years thing, in that class. Wherever you're standing, we're getting, and, a tra- we're getting a choppy signal right now. I don't know what just happened. It's going. Oh, nuts. really? Yeah. How about now? I, I'm, you got your clear to me. Sometimes my energy and my powers, <laughs> overwhelming 
Just putting out too much power. Let, let me bring it down, guys. Bring down the power. Let me bring it down. It's weird guys, when, you, when you start be, to go. I, I'm dropping. I'm dropping a lot of heat right now. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm trying to get like a pretender to contender story out of you, and we're just getting contender. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there ever was a time in Brian Callen's life where he was like really fucking. I mean, no, but I mean, I always feel like a pretender. I mean, they, so, so, you know, you're look, I mean, it took me 10 years at least to find my voice as a comic. There's no doubt about that. And it probably took me 20 years and I'm being serious to find, to be okay with myself without having to pull a rabbit out of the, out of a hat where I felt like I belonged in the room. Mm-hmm. I never thought I belonged in the room. I always thought, thank you for having me in the room. I would walk in with an apology. But you and didn't let anybody. But you didn't let anybody see that, did you? That was a feeling. Yeah, that but was they in your did head? see it. They did see it. I know that they did see it. You know why? Because I didn't get the part. You oh, know? you mean? I, got more I, oh, I thought you meant like in a in an acting class or on stage somewhere. All of it. Look, look. Let me let me let me give you a metaphor. I've said this before, but it's it's. I really mean it. So. I've been doing this for t- over 25 years and um, somebody, I did an interview and somebody said, can do you have any advice for young people? You know, you, you've been very successful and all that. And I said, look, um, I, I spent most of my twenties and thirties and even some of my forties in traffic in Los Angeles, hearing the word no. And I'm, I, I got probably two or three or four yeses a year. And for the most part, it's, it was always Brian Callen just misses. Brian Callen's not good enough. Brian Callen, you know, got this thing and it went away. Brian Callen was the seventh lead on the TV show. Brian Callen was, has this small part. And, and I was always the guy who was almost. People go, why aren't you famous yet? Why aren't you? Know, always, always is. And then, and then um, when I was 45, I think the Goldbergs come along and I get this part. And somehow that show, because of all the moving parts and all those amazing actors and writers, it becomes successful and my character is funny. It's funny. I'm not the show. The show goes on without me, but it was funny enough. And, and five years later, they give me my own show. Wow. A spinoff. And, and then I, my podcast after seven, you know, probably five years of doing it every day. I mean, I'm sorry, every week without a break, two times a week, three times a week, finally starts to be get me selling tickets and doing well and making money. And how how long and, does that take to happen as the podcaster? How long was it? How long before it took me five years, man? I mean, it was it was successful, but it, I mean, before it was really, it was like five years, four years of of every day, constantly. And by the way, that was my third attempt at podcasting. Third, mm-hmm. ten minute podcast, amazing, has a cult following. Then mixed mental arts, which was where I would interview all these. I was trying to do what Rogan does, couldn't do it. I, had, you know, and then I did. Finally, I did. Um, Fighter and the Kid became, you know, very big. But that was also equally as a result of my chemistry with Brendan Schaub. I was so going to say, that, was, was that the main difference? Is that the reason why you yes, think that one? Yes, I do. It was chemistry. How did you and guys I, I, know each so other? I, I'm just a huge fight fan. And, you know, and, and I just through the MMA world. And I, I just got to know him. And he, he lived near me. We started hanging out. And then you said, let's try a podcast? Yeah, because he was funny. He was a big athlete who happened to have been funny. And I was a comic, but, it, but, you know, so, so by the time I was actually successful, right. Where I had money and I was successful, I was like 50, 50, dude, 50. It took me that long. 
that's 25 years. That's more, that's 30 years. So you think that that's an accomplishment? The fact that I was successful after 30 fucking years, the fact that I could for, actually buy a, a, a nice car and have a nice house after that long, that's not an accomplishment, dude. That's called being a slow, that, that's literally like, so I, my metaphor is like, if I were to stand outside of my porch and throw a rock at every sparrow that flew by for 30 years, I bet you I'd have a lot of sparrows. I bet you I'd hit three to five a year by accident and knock them out of the sky. And then if I stuff them and put them on my wall and you came to my house after 30 years and you'd see a shitload of sparrows all over my walls and you go, dude, you must, you killed all these sparrows with a stone. You knocked them out of the air. How are you that good a stone throw? You must sick accuracy. Why aren't you playing in the major leagues? I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm just a good, I'm not any better a stone thrower probably than you. It's just that I've been doing it for 30 years and throwing it at every fucking sparrow that flies by. So when people look at the wall of fucking sparrows, mm -hmm. what they don't see is that it took me 30 years. It's not even an accomplishment. Anyone could do it if you stick at it the way I was always obsessing, always fucking, it was just a nightmare. Do you understand? So, so that, that's again, I don't, I don't know if I'm a contender. Okay. I'm a contender after 30 years. Cool. That's my, that's my boring story of going from pretender to contender. Well, maybe, no, you know? I mean, maybe you're not there yet. And that's an interesting way to go too. like, I mean, um, Who's the guy, um, Mar Malcolm Gladwell? Is that his name? The guy who... Uh, yeah, yeah, 10,000 hours. Yeah, and it, what did he... Tipping Point, right? That's well, him, right? Yeah, he, he's, I, he was taking, I think, Anders, 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 Eric Anders, or sorry, Anders Erickson, well, his you're, work you're, on... You're on big on dropping... Practice. You're big on dropping artists' names. I mean, he did this podcast where um, he talked about um, the song Alleluia, and how Jeff Buckley was like the 10th guy to record that song and no one made it a hit and then he recorded it and then he died in a really weird way, like drowned or something, right? And that the song becomes huge and he was the 10th guy to put that same song out and he said there's a lot of artists that are, that are like, and he compared um, Saison, Saison, is that how you say it? Yes, Saison. of course. Saison. Yes, of course, of course. Saison. I believe the impressionist, the yes. paint, the painter, the, yes. the impressionist. Well, yeah. <laughs> Saison, yes, and then he compared him and uh, Picasso, and how Picasso just like blah, 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 ten minutes, fucking greatest painting you've ever seen in your life, and Saison will keep working it for fucking twenty years, and then it's excellent after twenty years of fucking with it and changing it, and um, and how everybody's different and everybody doesn't mean they're less of a talent if just because it took them longer. So. Of course not. I mean, look at Juno Diaz is a phenomenal author and he, he is such a good writer and um, he wrote the brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wilde and a couple other things. And it takes him 10 years to write a script, 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, it takes him 10 years literally to write um, uh, a good script. You know, and, and I mean, I'm sorry, 10 years to write a book, mm -hmm. um, but it's worth it. You know, it took Springsteen nine months to write Born to Run, just that song. Right. You know, well, that's what's great about stand up is we can be almost there 
with jokes and they still entertain and make people laugh, but only the performers, like it's not there yet. It's like, that's a half baked joke. It needs so much more. Right. right? That's right. And that's, that's that's what you're saying about your new hour (laughs) that you're going to go. Yeah. You're going to go do tonight. You can get easy. No, tonight, by the way, I'm going to have some new stuff. And my, my earphones just died. So I'm going to just, I'm going to do it naked. Now that's fine. My I can still hear you. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I guess, I guess, uh, that's, you know, you're never, your work is never done. Your work's never done. You probably shouldn't be. Yeah. And so how different would your life be if, if I gave you a billion dollars? I mean, I think I travel differently. I'd have a, I'd have a bigger house somewhere with a great view. Maybe I'd own some horses just so I can run with them so that they can, they can, I actually was amazed. I had this friend of mine who was a very wealthy guy, right? Millionaire worked for Facebook and Yahoo and they were startup companies and then got out of it and started to do stand up. And he used to open for me on the road. And I was always amazed that he would uh, he would put him up in the same he would put himself up in the same hotel to do like a guest spots at my gig and I'm like, why are you not st- like you could stay at the greatest hotels ever made in these cities and you're and you're staying yeah. at the Hyatt Regency like I don't understand yeah and he just he didn't care about that stuff so he he didn't so uh, if you gave me as much money as possible I would probably still drive I wouldn't drive a Bugatti you know I mean I. Someone's interesting to me. If I, that stuff is a fucking distraction, man. You better be careful about luxury. It's a distraction. It dulls your instrument, you know? It's hard, man. You should be a little... You should have some ribs on you, man. Stay thin. Stay, Stay hungry. I mean, shit, that's what Billie Holiday said. She said, I just... Hunger is what drove me, real hunger. Bob Marley talked about going to bed hungry. Really? As a kid all the time. Like, not enough to eat. Yeah, man. Yeah, that stuff is that stuff is real. Desperation, hunger. No. What was it Nietzsche said for my children? If I had them, I wish nothing but despair and loss. It's how you get. It's how you sort of grow. I agree with mm-hmm. that. I agree with that. I mean, uh, I didn't get very mentally healthy in my life till I had a therapist that I had that connection with that you talked about having a connection with a person and. I didn't want to disappoint him. And when he would give me something to do in my life, I would do it. Like I didn't want to, when someone, yeah. when someone, well, that, that might be, that might be the, the biggest difference between being a pretender and a contender. As a pretender, I, I had this contract with life as a young person. And I thought that it would pan out. Your contract with life will be broken. And, and you become a contender when you realize it should be broken. And that's where the growth starts. You realize that, you know, when in the subtle art of not giving a fuck, the, the, what I really liked about that book is he said, what are you willing to struggle for? Because it's always going to be a struggle. You are always going to have a problem to deal with. And happiness comes from having better problems to solve, but solving those problems. I, I, it, it, if it's not one thing, it's the other. And part of being an adult and, and maturity is realizing and being okay with that fact that the problem, the existential problem of life is that you're going to die alone and, and, and it's always going to be struggle. Don't be afraid of the dragon. Man. You know, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight right. at the end of the day. 
Definitely. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid. So how do you want to leave the pretender to contender puck? Obviously with a song, Joe. I have a beautiful voice. I wish I did. I wish I could play the piano. I wish you I had can? a story about the piano. My father would stand over me with a rattan cane. You don't play any down instruments? down on my boy back as I made my mistakes. And they were numerous. Again, boy, he would scream again. Yes, Papa. I would say yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> No, man, it's good to talk to you, buddy. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has been a long time. Yeah. I uh, here we are, two middle-aged men. How old are you now? I'm probably, I'm probably the same same age as you. People have said are you we 54. People have said we look than... alike. Yeah, uh, we do. I'm, I'm fi- realizing that. I'm 53. So I'm 54. I'll, Jesus, I'll be 54 look, in uh, in August. You look better than me. I'm impressed. Not it's the really. Italian in you, pal. Nah, look, look how white nah, that is. Nah. Oh, you oh, mean yeah. my face looks good? I think it's this lighting. I, I this is the first time I tried this lighting that I have going on right now. I think I want to yeah. bring this with me everywhere I go for the rest of my life. Well, I had I had plastic surgery on my eyes. My eyes were. My mother was like, "Your eyes. I can't see your eyes. You're gonna, it's gonna get worse in our family." So I go to the, I go to Kim Kardashian's doctor, Jason Kaplan, great guy, and uh, and and he you know clipped my eyes so i've had i've officially had plastic surgery on my eye on my face what's the negative of getting that done for me you don't need it i just like you could it was truly like hanging over and i was like i don't like the way that looks on camera and my mother said it's going to get so bad you won't be able to see well that's why insurance takes care of it i was like oh that's a good enough excuse because you can't really do it as a dude like who's out on vein but i was like and the guy goes yeah you'll just look less tired and yeah. it, it was painless. So I was like, all right. I'll Any do it. scars? No. No scars. No. And you get lost in my eyes anyway, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> it looks good. Yeah, I'm a good. There's certain guy. people that you see uh, get a uh, plastic surgery and you're like, fuck, that looks good. I guess I would get it. And then you see people that have a horrible job. Like, cause well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to get your face tightened. I and should not get this camera out of focus again. The fuck I'll, I'll get a fucking. I want. I can't wait till they can clone hair. Believe me, I'm getting that. Believe me, I'm getting. I can't wait to have thick, beautiful hair. Well, Maniscalco got the the hair thing. His looks good. I didn't. I didn't know that he did. He always had hair. No, he got it. He got it all plugged up. Are you? Are you? Is he, are you spilling beans here? Or did no, he, he, he talked about. It? about I've heard him talk about oh, okay. it on his podcast and stuff. Oh, good. All right. Well, he yeah. just he just got it filled in right here a little bit. Well, I did that too, but it didn't take back about. 10 years ago, more, and it didn't take, so. You ask Maniscalco where he got his, because his looks perfect. I know a good hair guy. I just want to wait till he can clone it. I want different hair. I want thick hair, you know? (laughs) I want hair I can throw out of my fucking eyes. (laughs) All right, dude. I thank thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Had a great time. I know comedians hate doing a a lot of podcasts. It's because it's tiring, especially you have to do a show tonight. It's all good, buddy. It's a privilege. It's great to see you, pal. All right, man. What can I plug? What can I plug for you? Your new podcast with Steve Byrne? Yeah, uh, um, a big and hungry podcast with Steve Byrne. We drop that every uh, Monday, and then I have on on Patreon. I have Patreon dot com slash Brian Callen. There is. I have a, a, a podcast called Conspiracy Social Club, where Sam Tripoli, who's a phenomenal comic, I love uh, hits me Tripoli. with conspiracy theories and i debunk them and it turns into just a 
fucking, it's just a clusterfuck where we're just shouting at each other, but it's great. And he's so funny. And I love the guy. I love so. Steve. It's actually, it's got, it's actually gotten pretty popular. So patreon.com slash Brian Count, Conspiracy Social Club. Awesome. It's like five bucks a month. And then, uh, and then the other one, uh, Big and Hungry. So there it is. There it is. And if you're in, uh, where the hell? If you're in Tampa, May 21, 22, I'm at the improv. Improv Tampa. Yeah. Nice. There it is. All right, dude. Yeah, Thanks so much. Appreciate it, pal. You're the best. Have I'll a good show tonight. See you. I will. Bye. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you found it uh, kind of motivational and showing you how to get it done. And uh, a great way <laughs> to get it done is uh, be a force. Be a confident force. I love... Uh, I love I love the way uh, Brian Callen just puts confidence out there. Definitely always been jealous of that. So uh, thanks for listening again. And if you know anything about my podcast, you know it's completely crowdfunded. If you want to watch these episodes in high-definition video, the only way to get the video feed of it is to join my Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash pretender to contender okay you will always get the uh, episodes for free in audio format anywhere you listen to podcasts i got uh, a gig to promote here coming up uh since um the gig in uh, royersford royersford pa where i did remember when my one-man stand-up show went really well he booked me at another venue that he has on june 26th in south jersey at the VNV Adventure Farm. He's doing these outdoor comedy concerts, and this one's going to have a band, and I think uh, it's going to be a really fun time. Big, huge venue. It's in South Jersey. It's in Shamung, Shamung, New Jersey. It's probably about 15 or 20, 20 minutes outside of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where I grew up. So I'm expecting some South Jersey peeps. VNV Adventure Farm, June 26th. Shamung, it's a Soul Joel's, uh, I guess you would say, uh, presentation. I, I don't know. He has all these different venues that he's doing besides the Royersford one. So you can uh, look up Soul Joel or JoeMatterese.com and you will be able to get tickets to that on June 26th. All right, everybody. Sorry, I was a little long-winded at the end of this podcast. Keep listening. We got some great ones coming up. I'm loving it. I like the format. I'm sticking with it. Here we go. No co-host, just me now. All right, guys? Have a good one.